The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is Max George. They were just screaming, and the podcast and marionettes were flailing spastically, and all just screaming, screaming. Well, if that doesn't give you nightmares, I don't know what will. Right? (laughs) We are talking about something on this episode that is a true underrated gem, I think, in the horror community. Absolutely. And that is the one and only Shudder's fantastic produced Channel Zero. Well, technically they didn't produce it. They are the ones that are streaming it. That's valid. I I realized that mistake as I said it was one of those, no, come back words, come back to me. But they were already there. Yeah, no. Channel Zero originally was a sci-fi series, but they just recently canceled it, so screw them. Yeah, what is up with that? I don't know. Everything good gets canceled. We need more horror fans out there to keep shows like this going. I mean, they petitioned Brooklyn Nine-Nine to keep going. Why can't we petition this? Boogers. Well, to be fair, I'm very excited about Brooklyn Nine-Nine still being back. (gasps) I mean, I'm not complaining, but Channel Zero is... ah, I'm really excited to talk about it because watching the first season, it's, it's so well done and it's so thought out uh, it's just great tv i agree like i feel like I, i'm noticing more and more shows do this where it's they will take the like the anthology uh series idea but then do it by season by season as opposed to by episode by episode and i love this particular one like i mean some other series that of course do that would be like american horror story but this show is much better than American Horror Story, but American Horror Story gets eight zillion seasons. Yeah, and we can maybe talk about that when we talk about the actual show. Maybe before we get too hot-headed about American Horror Story. And the shots about... I fired at it. <laughs> yeah. Come at me! <laughs> Calm down. Um, let's talk about where Channel Zero kind of came from. And more specifically, the first season of Channel Zero is titled Candle Cove. And Nathaniel, do you want to go into what Candle Cove, what it is, where it came from kind of a thing? Yes. So Candle Cove is a creepypasta. So if you're not familiar with what a creepypasta is, uh, it is a term that is used on the internet that is a combination of copypasta and the word creepy. Uh, so a copypasta is basically any story that would be usually copied and pasted, uh, usually into things like someone's Facebook page or, you know, on forums or things like that. You know, it's easily shareable. You select a big block of text, paste it to someone else. It was also, you know, used widely in, in spreading things like weird 
chain letters on emails and all that kind of stuff. That's that's kind of what that refers to. And so a creepypasta is taking that format uh, of, of just kind of like an online post. And, and, and most of those, you know, are always purported to be true and things like that. And so it's taking that idea and then tweaking it so it is a horror story that is written in a way that, that a lot of times it's very convincing and can be easily shared online. And so this first one, Candle Cove, is specifically based on one uh, of that same name, Candle Cove, and it is written by Chris Straub uh, back in 2009. And so what that particular creepypasta is, is it's written as though it's a series of forum posts uh, discussing like, hey, do you, does anyone remember this old TV show called Candle Cove? It was like a puppet show. It had pirates. And then, you know, people are, you know, adding posts and adding more and more information to it. And it gets weirder as it goes on. Like, oh, yeah, the bad guy was called the Skin Taker, which is an unnerving name and it, i mean it almost reads like a reddit post in some ways yeah where you have these kind of just little blips and blurbs from you know random usernames who are describing this really old vintage puppet show and i don't know about you nathaniel but if you think back to some of the early 90s like puppet shows sometimes they're horrifying oh like, yeah well I, I mean like they were really a big staple of, of a lot of tv through like you know 70s 80s 90s um, I mean, I remember, like, Lamb Chop and, of course, like, Mr. Rogers' puppet yeah. show stuff. Ooh, can we have an episode dedicated to Lamb Chop? She's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so in that same kind of vein, it's this, this show about this pirate that's going on adventures with their friends, but it just sounds really weird, like, unnerving, like... You know the the bad guy, the the skin taker, which is like a skeleton, like will like regularly address the audience like directly in in ways that's unnerving. And then you know it starts getting even weirder and weirder with the story, where it's like someone's like, I remember that show gave me nightmares, and you know I I, I had this like recurring nightmare of of just all the characters just screaming, and like there wasn't anything in the episode, it was just them screaming the whole time. And then someone else is like. No, that was an episode. I remember that, too. And then it just goes on and on and on, and it gets weirder and weirder and weirder, and to the point that finally someone's like, so I asked my mom about it, and she said that when there was static on the TV, I would be like, okay, I'm going to watch Candle Cove now, and then I'd just go sit in front of the static. And she thought it was so cool that I had such a great imagination. And so it's like, oh, like this show didn't even necessarily really exist. It's all, it, but it's in all of the minds of these kids. That's that's the you know the creepy twist ending of that particular creepypasta. And I think it's important to remember too that creepypasta has kind of exploded on the internet. A lot of kind of modern viral horror stories come from creepypasta, mm-hmm. and I personally think after reading the Candy Cove little kind of reddit form i guess if you want to call it really it does it better than a few of the other stories oh for sure um, slender man was born on creepypasta yeah and that at the heart is a truly terrifying story but it's become so popularized that it's almost lost a little bit of that horror however there's a caveat to that of course with the actual killings that happened in the name of slender man like this stuff can get dark well not killings, a, a stabbing that didn't uh, kill. Stabbing, man, my facts are off tonight. She lived. Pazuzu's inside me. Um, <laughs> not in the fun way. 
too graphic for our podcast. That's the first time I've ever felt this graphic. one's definitely getting an explicit label, regardless of how many cusses we use. Um, some other really popular creepypasta stories that have kind of generated almost a cult following would be like the Laughing Jack, um, Jeff the Killer, the god awful Russian sleep experiment. I hate this one, Ted the Caver. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 ubiquitous. They're all over the place. Um, I can't tell you how many creepypastas I've read about how to summon Satan and summon Beelzebub and blah, 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 blah. And, and some of them have, have taken on lives beyond that of just being an, a, a creepy thing online. Um, I mean, like, sometimes it's just that they have a big, weird audience following. Like, Jeff the Killer, for some reason, a lot of 12-year-olds on the internet like drawing Jeff the Killer for three years for some reason. Shame. Go watch something more wholesome, children. Or just, I don't know. Like, that one just, it's its not that interesting to me. But, or, but, but, but like, there's another one that was a creepy series of creepypastas uh, called Pen Pal. And that ended up being a very successful novel once it was expanded by Dathan Auerbach. I think that's how you pronounce his name. So, Nathaniel, you being a horror author, why do you think Candle Cove did so well and primarily why was it such good inspiration for a six episode tv show well to me what i think it it does a great job of doing is it it does this this great job of taking the the things that are kind of like in the collective memory that we only half remember like from our childhoods Uh, because everyone has things like that someone will mention a show and you'll be like Oh my gosh, I watched that show a lot. I haven't thought about that in 15 years. Like, everyone has that experience semi-regularly. And so that is a thing that's fun to play with. The, you know, so so it takes, you know, a bunch of people talking about something that they vaguely remember on the internet. And that's what, I mean, that's what, like, 80% of Reddit is, is just people trying to reminisce about something obscure. <laughs> um, and so I feel like that is is something that people really identify with. And then I think it also kind of plays with this idea of, of like false memory or um, that, that maybe the things that we remember that as being a part of our childhood are a little bit more sinister than we realize they were. So, you know, in this case, it's, it's this thing that is very unnerving because it's not like, it's this weird show. And then no one specifically actually watched it. It was just static on their TVs. I kind of want to dive in just a little bit and talk about those memories. Like memories are so tangible and our brain can distort them so much that I think you make an excellent point to this is there's almost this dark, almost horror-esque sentiment about memories that we can't really remember our past, our childhood even. And so these little flicks and blurbs that reignite these memories, it, it can almost be insidious. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just talking to my mother today, and this is definitely not horror-related, but I was watching my little girl play t-ball. And I was talking to my mom about how I loved playing baseball as a kid. And I thought I was pretty good at it. And she looks at me and she's like, uh, no, you were horrible. You know, but in my mind, I have this memory of being this amazing baseball player. Memories are crazy. Mm -hmm. Reality is, we distort it to what we want it to be, you know? 
Yeah, and, and I always hear different numbers thrown around of how much of our memory is fiction. But, I mean, a lot of times if, if you hear, you know, some researcher or some, someone say, like, oh, yeah, like, realistically, like, I don't know, you hear numbers like in the 80s or 90 percentiles of how much your memory is false. It's, you know, has has a teeny bit of truth, but, you know, if you watched it objectively, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, like, not at all what actually happened versus what or you know like what happened does not match up with what i remember i mean like let's take the the big weird cultural zeitgeist thing of the berenstein bears versus berenstein bears thing um you heard about that right Uh, yeah totally yeah and i guess how how was it spelled for you in in your memory berenstein it yeah for me it was berenstein which is how it's spelled and that's I, I find it so fascinating that it's, you know, that thousands and thousands of people very distinctly remembered it spelled a specific way, and, and that it had like a, I don't know, like like it stuck with them that it was spelled that way, and then people lost their minds when they found out that it wasn't spelled that way. Because it was in their memory, it was fixed hard in their memory. So yeah, like, that's the kind of thing that this story plays with and and what i love about it too is that it's very quick like you can read it in three minutes oh yeah just to piggyback off of that sometimes i think we can get very over descriptive with horror um oftentimes the most simplistic things can really terrify you more than you know dramatic and descriptive context Mm -hmm. we've talked about this on the podcast several times so yeah, I totally agree. It's a fantastic story. If you haven't checked out the original Candle Cove, the creepy pasta, definitely go find it and let us know if it creeped you out as well. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, just just Google it. You'll find it posted on a dozen websites. It'll take just a couple minutes to read, but I definitely say it's it's worthwhile because it it does a great job of of giving that that little eerie kind of like prickle up your spine sort of thing. So to piggyback onto that. What Channel Zero does is it takes that kind of cultural zeitgeist of memory and, you know, this creepy show that we've seen, and it illustrates it beautifully. You guys remember Candle Cove? That show gave me the worst nightmares. It can make people do things. It's not just a TV show. Kids will see it. These kids are hurting someone! Just like we did. Welcome to Candle I really thought it was interesting that in the show itself, they kind of harken back to that, that all of these characters are vaguely remembering the show, and for some of them, it was one thing, and for a few of the other main characters, it was a dramatically different thing. Mm-hmm. And to, to quickly summarize, uh, again, spoilers. If you don't want spoilers, run now. If you haven't figured out that we like to spoil things, then you haven't been listening. Yeah. The season, the show itself, like you mentioned, it's an anthology, so every season is based on a different creepypasta story, which I think is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, this first season, there is... A man who is played by the wonderful Mark Brandanowitz from Parks and Recreation, also known as Paul Schneider. Um, He plays Mike Painter, who comes back to his hometown. And he grew up with a bunch of kids. There were a lot of these weird, twisted child disappearances, ended up being murders. He had a twin brother who was really, really bullied 
and developed this weird friendship with these puppets and the show it was about these pirates who are on the open seas and obsessed and the uh, one thing comes after another and you realize that this twin is kind of living through uh, supernaturally this monster who is kind of stalking the town who is being kind of protected by one of the elementary school teachers and they have this power to kind of control the minds of children to kill and to take teeth because the twin is living in this monster made of teeth and is trying to resurrect himself through his brother who is now an adult who came back to the town Um, that's a horrible summary the show is very intricate and very well developed and thought out uh it's beautiful it's fantastic some of the things i liked the most as i just mentioned one uh the practical effects for the show itself are mind-blowing you know we live in an age of cgi where everything is you know special effects done on a computer blah 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 and this show the set and the designs that they created the puppets themselves the tooth monster i don't know what we want to call him (laughs) um the tooth child is how i've heard him referred to Ooh, i like that and the skin taker you actually see glimpses of the skin taker and you have no idea what he is is he a demon is he a ghost what what is going on is he just negative energy created by this kid who was bullied so much um but it's fantastic and it's horrifying and it's visceral because it's set design it's costuming it's amazing i feel like i'm rambling (laughs) well i mean it's it really is something incredible like i tell people like oh yeah like they made a, a monster out of teeth and they like don't really appreciate they're like well that sounds kind of weird and then i show them a picture of it and I'm like they made that that's a suit and people go oh oh right like it's it's impressive everything they do like the the puppet show feels very authentic it's it's so like they're so committed to doing this story well and i i love it and again like even the puppets themselves that they're using for this childhood tv show there's nothing like innately terrifying about their design but just how they're portrayed the captain skull i can't jawbone jawbone is the it's Mm -hmm. this pirate who's a skeleton um he's not scary by any means but how they portray him on the television show you know his face is kind of fading in and out you can hardly see it but you know he's there the music is very light and cheery and all the other puppets are very creepy. And then you see children murdering adults. Like, ah, oh, the way they do it is just brilliantly done, I think. I, I, I am really obsessed with Channel Zero, if you can't tell by now. And I think what part of what makes the, the series work so well as a, as a TV series is that the first episode really lays out that idea of the creepypasta like you have you see them have that conversation that you see as the forum posts uh at a at a dinner with you know old friends and 
and and then you know you you get the reveal that it was just static on the TV at the end of the episode, and so then you have five more episodes playing with this idea, exploring it more, saying, okay, so what if there was a show that was like that on TV? What if it was making your kids do something sinister? And I think for me, my favorite part about Candle Cove is how unnerving it is. You've got some very horrific scenes with children killing adults, adults killing children, these monsters, the tooth child, the skin taker, all these very, very thematic horror scenes. But at the same time, the tone of the entire show is very, very upsetting. Um, and they do that with music. Mm-hmm. They do it with shots that just seem to take a little too long. For me, that's one of its biggest triumphs is making me feel uneasy the entire episode. You never feel safe watching this show. And one of my, I think my favorite scenes from the entire show was when kind of the junior sheriff, her name's Amy Welch. She kind of takes over the investigation of who was doing all of these killings she gets back to the office one day and there's this weird present sitting on her desk and she has no idea who it's from. She seems a little concerned about this. I mean, she's got obviously children disappearing and murdering and hurting each other. And she opens up the present and it's just this weird bowl filled with a variety of different mushrooms. You have no idea what's going on. Who gave her this? You're convinced it's, you know, the tooth child playing some weird games, whatever, whatever. And you're just like, what is going on? And then the next episode, you find out it's from a crush who works in the police station with her. And you're like, well, what was that huge dramatic thing with the mushrooms? Like, uh, it just pulls the rug out from under you. It's great. When I saw that, I just was flabbergasted that I spent so much energy being disgusted at this minimal scene that had no plot relevance and it just like there was just something about that scene like the way it was shot the way the the mushrooms looked in the bowl all of that it was just like oh this is there there's there was still that wrongness which i think even though it doesn't necessarily contribute to the specifics of the plot, I think it does a good job of kind of showing how the the wrongness that comes from the Candle Cove show has kind of infected the town. That's a fantastic insight that I really think I would assume the creators of the show were trying to portray because Mark Brandanowitz, I can't think of his real name, Curse You Parks and Recreation... Um, Paul, <laughs> Paul Schneider's character, Mike Painter, is really seen as an outlaw to his hometown, even to his own mother. The town is falling apart with these children, disappearing, getting murdered. It really, you feel the trauma. It's very visceral. It's very unnerving, like we've talked about. Uh, the storytelling is gorgeous. It's it's gorgeous if you haven't seen this go get a shutter subscription and watch this show um another thing that i really appreciated from the show was the children um their Mm -hmm. acting was amazing there were four in particular who dressed up towards the end of the show as the puppets from the creepy candle cove puppet show and again the costuming was gorgeous and it was terrifying as well and it's children with machetes and hunting knives like chasing after you in the woods and especially with the other scenes where children are just mindlessly watching the tv in their homes 
and it's static, but to them it's this creepy puppet show. Like, ugh. Well, so I guess, what did you like about like the directions the plot took as it went on? Um, I really enjoyed a lot of the plot twists that kind of happened all of a sudden. But it felt very, you know, a lot of these endearing characters that we wanted to root for all of a sudden would just die halfway in. Very Game of Thrones-esque, if you will. Mike Painter, Paul Schneider's character, he had kind of this weird love interest with the police chief's wife. They used to be childhood sweethearts. She dies like halfway mm-hmm. in. And you're like, what? No, she's not supposed to die. Uh, the creepy cop who gave the mushrooms, he kicks the bucket. Uh, it was just kind of all over the place with the deaths in a way that, to me, felt really realistic. You know, serial killers and crazy skin taker cho- tooth children don't pick favorites. Yeah, yeah, I definitely like that nobody was safe. I also like seeing how our protagonist, Mike Painter, isn't everything that he necessarily says he is, that, that you find out that, you know, there's a lot of strain in his relationship with his family because of like a psychotic break and and maybe he was involved back in the day with with the violence um, uh, with the children and all that stuff like i like how the more you learn you realize that like there's no one good guy it's just uh, this kind of like spirally mystery that yeah like like i kind of said before has sort of infected this entire town and so, like, everyone's tainted at least a little bit. Yeah, and again, the the entire show is very unnerving, and it makes you almost feel disgusted for watching it in some regard. Um, it just is so well done. The music is fantastic. I mentioned a little bit earlier how they have a lot of cinematic shots on trees or wind blowing in the grass that are just a little too long to get you to feel a little uncomfortable, and then the plot continues. And I I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. How about you? Any other complaints or positive remarks you have about the plot embellishments or plot twists? I guess I just had one thing that, like, even though I love the tooth child, in terms of, like, its visual effect and how creepy it is and and all of that i felt like i just never quite threaded that needle of like so why is he a tooth child like why is his brother that like i just never quite connected that dot and it 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 bugged me because like i felt like a lot of other things were at least semi-explained or or that that i felt like i i kind of understood the weird internal logic of it but with that one, you know, like this weird tooth child that goes around taking teeth from people, I liked that idea, but it felt like it was kind of out of left field still. Like, like they kind of kind of made it work, but it didn't quite gel as much as the rest of the, the series did. Did you I feel that way? There. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of of why it was teeth is because his twin brother had an extra tooth. That was the only way to, like, differentiate him between the Mike Painter character. Um, but I I felt Mm. like that wasn't enough. And the last episode did kind of leave me a little confused, which is not always a bad thing. I did want them to explain a little bit more where the skin taker came from. 
you know, almost made him out to be a demon or a ghost or an alien or really just a creation of all this negative energy from the twin. And it wasn't really explained. And this whole weird resurrection, Jesus Christ kind of a thing twisted, though, and turned on its head. It kind of fell apart in some regards at the very, very end. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt too. Is that like I loved like ninety eight percent of it, but those la- that last two percent, I was really just like, huh. I just felt like right. they they yeah. almost had had like they almost nailed it, but it's kind of stumbled a little bit at the the landing just because they tried to go a little bit too far with with like a metaphor or some sort of I don't know deep message or something that I just didn't quite connect to the rest of it it felt a bit contrived and kind of wrapped up with a pretty bow and said okay we're done let's move on to the next thing yeah yeah and i guess i guess the problem with that is that it felt like yeah so the skin taker was like created by the brother but the brother was watching the show before he created him and the skin taker is part of the show and so it i don't know it just felt like there was this like weird kind of like circular logic hole present there. Like it didn't ever quite fully connect. Like there's like some other outside force there, but it never quite explains it or addresses it. So yeah, that's, that's my only real problem with the series outside of the, so why a tooth child, but still like, even with that complaint still really like that show. And I agree, and to piggyback onto that, you know, we have this old lady elementary school teacher who's kind of the prophetess, I guess you could say, of the skin taker, who's kind of laying out the plan and making it come to fruition. She was very religious when she was younger, suffered a lot of seizures, and Mike Painter's twin was able to kind of stop the seizures with his dark power, you know, the dark side of the force, whatever he was using. And so she becomes devoted to him, which is cool, and she loses her faith and kind of starts worshipping him as a savior figure. Mm-hmm. But again, like, there is that, and that has a lot of potential and a lot of, like, cool things you could do with it, but it was never fully realized at the end. It's almost like they needed one more episode to wrap up a few things of what happened. Yeah, yeah, I just felt like there was just just a little bit of cognitive dissonance there that I just, yeah, like there's a few more, more pieces to put into place. And if I had all of those, I'd be like, Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, I felt, felt like they kind of got out just a little bit too fast for that. Another problem I think I had was in the last episode, Mike Painter is able to go meet up with his twin brother in this weird, like, horror dungeon kind of a other world dimension it felt very cenobite to me yeah um i i loved the skin taker i thought he was awesome but he was almost like a a hurt puppy (laughs) when you finally meet the real villain which is this twin who's never really died um yeah, and talking about it more, it kind of bums me out a little bit that they they weren't able to solidify that ending a little bit better. Yeah, I to feel the... like it's one of those things that that the like showrunners like understood what they were doing, but I don't know if I understood it, and so that's that's the thing is that like 
I'm sure they get it, and that like if you sat down with one of them, they could probably explain it, and you'd be like, "Oh, that's how that piece fit there," and that's okay, okay. But yeah, like like you said, maybe one more episode to kind of explain all of that in a little bit more depth would have been very helpful. Um, a few other issues I had with the series as a whole is pacing in the first couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. While the storytelling was very compelling, I felt like things were kind of a slow burn kind of a feel. And I can appreciate a slow burn for what it is, but you gotta hook me right off the bat. If I'm fully honest, I watched the first three episodes of Channel Zero, and then like six months later, I started up again and watched the last three, and I was fine. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I always say pacing is an issue with everything we review, and maybe I just need to have more patience. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would say in this case, I, I actually agree. I felt like... In terms of, like, the major story beats, they did pretty good uh, as far as, like, oh, hey, like, the the twist about the it just being static on the TV coming at the end of the first episode. That worked really well for me. But, yeah, some of the specifics of what was going on, and, and especially the first, like, one or two episodes, there were sometimes just, yeah, a few scenes that dragged on a little bit longer than they needed to. Some of the scenes weren't quite necessary, and and really the only problem I have with all those things is that maybe if they had kind of gotten into stuff a little bit earlier, they would have had a little bit more wiggle room at the end of the series to give you all the explanations that, that you're kind of lacking. Another thing I kind of noticed was sometimes the storytelling kind of made you assume some things in the plot, which is not always a bad thing. I really love horror movies that know its audience and can you know, assume that the audience is smart enough to not have every single plot detail laid out item by item. Mm-hmm. But I felt there were some occasions where this took a little bit too big of a jump. And I had to pause the show and kind of think, well, wait, what about, okay, um, oh, okay, I think this is what's going on. Okay, let's get back into it. But it felt like there were almost two or three an episode, which wasn't my favorite. I agree. I agree. It's, it's good. It's very good. It's just not quite perfect. And it's good enough that they created three more seasons that are based on other creepypasta stories. I'm excited to start watching those um, mm-hmm. and to really dive in. So I can comment at least on um, season two, and I started on season three. And yeah, uh, so season two, is, I guess we can kind of talk about what each one is a little bit. I've read all of the creepypastas. So season two is is called No End House. It's playing with a creepypasta uh, that's basically about like a kind of a haunted attraction, you know, like the going to a spook alley or, you know, where where you go pay people to scare you. The worst places ever. And by that, you mean that we're going to this year record you going through one of those and it'll be awesome and it's going to be a great episode i hate them so much i just show it to me on my tv don't force me to be there i i am going to force you to do it this year because it will be a hilarious episode to listen to you just going the whole time it will be very vulgar very vulgar that one is definitely going to get the explicit tag (laughs) i'm kind of the opposite i i love going to stuff like halloween horror nights uh, uh, like universal things like that so i'm all about those uh as long as they don't get to like 
touch me. Like the ones that they're like get to like drag you away and put a bag over your head and stuff. No, no, not interested in that. But anyway, so so this is one. It's supposed to be like very immersive, very scary, and very personal. And so it's like so they're going through this, and it's it's just like uncomfortably personal, and then you get trapped in it. Is kind of this idea of, uh, and that's what the creepy pasta is. That's kind of what the main series is, but they make it much more personal with with the series, uh, you know, involving like uh, recently departed father and all that kind of stuff. So that one's pretty fun. I liked it. I didn't like it as much as the first season, but I still feel like it was very well executed and like some of the effects were amazing. So it's definitely worth a watch. It's just not quite the same level of oomph that the first season had for me. Butcher's Block is based on a uh, story called Search and Rescue Woods, which is a very long creepypasta that is basically about uh, someone who works for Search and Rescue who talks about how strangely, like, out in the middle of the woods, people sometimes find these staircases that go to nowhere that shouldn't be out there because it's a staircase in the middle of the woods uh and basically talking about how like you shouldn't go up them like if you go up them something bad will happen to you and and you know that that they've heard that for a long time and you know just kind of plays with that idea for a while so so the series kind of takes that idea but then it puts it in the middle of like a central park kind of thing in a city and and basically saying like hey this whole city has been tainted by this like weird family that used to run the meat packing plant and I don't know. I, I I'm not far enough into the season to really comment that much on, on like what it's about yet, but it's definitely weird and, and there's definitely a weird staircase that goes to nowhere. And then season four, which I have not watched it at all, but I have read the creepypasta, is called The Dream Door. Uh, and that's basically about finding a really weird door in your basement that goes somewhere. It sounds like a fun HGTV show we could create. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I would watch an HGTV show like that so hard. Move that bus! Open that door! <laughs> man, that would be honestly like the best like horror parody kind of thing. Like taking that HGTV format like you know, because because like a lot of the found footage movies and stuff, it's like oh, like like Grave Encounters is supposed to be like a, a ghost hunter show, but doing that same kind of thing, like everything goes wrong, but then having it be like I don't know the Property Brothers or something, <laughs> like oh yeah, we got to flip this house, but like not in a you know the usual like oh we have to flip this house oh no it's all sinister and horrible like have it be the peppy TV personalities trying to flip the house and it's gets weirder and more sinister i would watch that i am tempted to write that now honestly do it and shudder if you're listening here's your freebie idea from us just as long as you cast me somewhere in it uh it's not free and (laughs) if if you're interested in this idea i am at nj darkish on twitter (laughs) hit me up i will write this for you hit me up and i'll give it to you for free no (laughs) Um, i'm the one who said it copyright 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 (laughs) screw him (laughs) let's go back to the shots you fired at the beginning of the podcast yeah what you know 
American Horror Story. I like it for what it is. It kind of popularized a lot of horror themes for mm-hmm. a while. Um, first season's pretty great. Second season nope. I love. Nah. I know you have weird feelings. Whatever, it's fine. Um, Channel Zero is so much better. So Thank you. much better. So much more thought out. So much more developed. The horror is more visceral, more authentic. It controls itself. I know we kind of went on about a lot of its issues and flaws, but if you have to compare them, this is leagues above American Horror Story. American Horror Story's top 40, and this is a music album you find that you've never listened to before and you fall in love with it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Yeah, I would say the difference between Channel Zero and something like American Horror Story is that Channel Zero, even though it's not necessarily perfect, it it does a great job of scaring you. They really go all in on on the cinematography, on the effects, on the the commitment to the idea, and also like they they have a tight story. They've thought it through all the way, and even if it doesn't necessarily come through one hundred percent like we mentioned as, as being some problems here, it's still like, you know that the that the people who made it are passionate about this story, they know it front and back. While something like American Horror Story, you can tell that the writer's room are throwing out ideas, throwing out ideas, throwing out ideas, and they say, oh, well, let's just use all of those. Let's just throw it all together. Lucifer? Aliens? Sure! Well, but that that's the thing, is it's not just Lucifer and Aliens, it's, and this is season two of American Horror Story, so you can check, it's Lucifer, Aliens, an insane asylum, a possessed nun, a Nazi evil scientist who has <laughs> monsters in the woods, it has, like, six other things. Oh, yeah, a, a multi-generational serial killer. What else? Adam Levine. Let's let's remember him. All in a single season, and and none of those threads really tie together. They're all just there, kind of playing out. Sometimes they interact with each other. Sometimes they don't. And, and I feel like you know a lot of times the American Horror Story writers will will cheat. They'll get to the end of the season and go, "Oh crap! All those rules that we've been playing with, that we've established as as the universe for this, those don't work. Let's just ignore them now." That's what they did with the first season. The last episode, the ideas and, and the inter- internal logic of what the ghosts were and how they worked got all thrown out the window. Fair points. Again, I like American Horror Story for what it is. It really helped kind of popularize horror to some extent. But but I guess my, my argument there is that I think that's a shame that that's the thing that's popularizing it and is getting all the seasons when something like Channel Zero or Hannibal or a dozen other shows don't last because people are off watching the, the popcorn show that doesn't actually make any sense. I would absolutely agree with you. You know, Channel Zero is phenomenal. Hannibal is gorgeous and beautiful. But to counter that point, I mean, we have how many Annabelle movies now? You know, what makes the money is what keeps lasting, unfortunately, in today's society. Yeah, well, and and I guess the the thing that I think really bugs me about about you know the the lasting power of the the mediocre is that ooh ooh the lasting power of the mediocre we need to trademark that asap <laughs> tm 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 <laughs> it's it's that 
a lot of times if you make something for the least or for the lowest common denominator where you where you make a show where it's going to just appeal to all of the the base uninteresting human desires of like oh you know with with american horror story it's like okay let's have as much shock factor and sex scenes as possible and and you know making and and not actually putting in a any commitment to quality storytelling or like really developing ideas and taking horror seriously as a genre to me that 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 bothers me because people yeah like people love seeing you know people getting it on and you know oh shock factor oh so i don't know like all of the soap opera stuff that they inject into those kinds of stories combined with all of the slasher movie stuff it's what what kills me about that is that when they have that kind of material it's easy to market because all you have to do is you know have have a a trailer where you have you know a half naked adam levine and people will watch it while something that is beautiful and intricate and actually takes the storytelling seriously like hannibal or uh, channel zero it's it's harder to market because you have to say like hey like you have to get invested in this i just i don't know i guess what i wish is that one audiences would take them more seriously and two that networks would take them more seriously because a lot of times what happens with these shows is that they maintain a faithful audience but they don't necessarily explode in terms of numbers and so even though, you know, after a few seasons, they'll be holding steady at, you know, 4 million viewers or something. And and even though that, that is good and like they're able to make good money uh, on advertising and all of that kind of stuff, it's just not quite the cultural zeitgeist that they hope it will be. And so it doesn't they don't continue to invest in it. And and I think that's a shame because I feel like a lot of the best shows, you just have to trust them a little bit longer. And, and yeah, like, I don't know. I just, I guess my, my problem is that I wish that with TV, networks would continue to give money to creators who do good work as opposed to people who are able to just get people's attention briefly because there's a difference there. I would totally agree with you, uh, 100%. You know, a lot of the stuff we've talked about, our favorite movie of all time, Hereditary, um, <laughs> was not marketed to the mass populace. Mm-hmm. And it's the best horror movie I've seen yet to this day. Um, and that's sad that not more people know about that. But unfortunately, society is crippled by this. And I'm going to hold you to the same standard once we do eventually talk about, you know, all of the Annabelle movies, The Nun, all of these kind of popcorn horror movies that we review that we still consider to be fairly good. But at the same time, it's they're just making a buck. You know, yep. this this next Annabelle movie that we have, it's like it looks of, bad crap bonkers. All of the objects are loose. Oh, no, it's the apocalypse. Like, it's just stupid when they could have done something so much more developed and so much more intricate yeah and and admittedly like there is a place for both kinds of things and and i think that's totally fair like i'm not saying that things that are popcorny and silly are devoid of value but what i'm saying is that i i wish that 
that things that aren't popcorny and you know the the things that actually are like artistic and and have real and really have something to say or have a unique way of saying something and and are really standout pieces of art i just wish that those could be taken as seriously by the people who put money behind projects but so often they're not and and that's a shame because those are the things that will actually have staying power and and stay in the minds of of generations to come. I think people will talk about Hereditary for a long time, but people are not going to talk about American Horror Story for a long time. As soon as it's over, people are going to forget about it. I agree. And I, I really think kind of the biggest thing the horror community needs to do is search out these really kind of underground mediums that we have get a shutter subscription, watch channel zero, tweet about it, post pics about it, talk about how amazing it is. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a new Ari Aster film, the director of hereditary midsummer. I'm ecstatic about it, but nobody knows about it. Let's get the hype train going. You know, if, if I have to summarize this whole conversation, it's promote good horror, promote the stuff that you know, as horror fans is incredible and if you made it this long in our episode, you know, do your part. If you have a horror movie that you love, share it. Talk to the world about it. Let it be known. Let us know so we can share it with the world. Yeah. We want to know that stuff. We want to know the good horror. We know it's out there. I'd much rather, you know, discuss and take time up out of my day to talk about a horror movie or a horror show or a horror medium, a book, whatever you want to, whatever you want to do instead of the nun, instead of Annabelle creation, you know, these popcorn horror flicks, like you said, they have their place, but I would much rather, and I will feel much more edified talk about something that is art. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's why um, so often people don't take horror seriously. If, if you say, Oh, I'm a big horror fan. People are like, Oh, okay. Like that's why there's that weird social stigma attached to it is because people don't think about the artistic, well-constructed pieces of art. They think about the popcorn and, and it's fine to think about the popcorn too. Like I said, it's, I'm not knocking you know, movies that are just fun or silly or are made just, you know, on no budget and it's just people having fun out in the woods. But what I'm saying is if if you want people to look at horror with any measure of appreciation, then maybe, yeah, sit, sit them down and show them something that is bringing something else to the table uh, other than just popcorn scares. So, before we make our listeners' ears bleed anymore... Yeah, we've, we've been uh, banging this drum for a while now. Crowns and Screams Kay. for Channel Zero Season 1, Candle Cove. So, I'm going to give it eight crowns, because uh, especially the, the, the like visuals and, and the traditional effects and all that, it's, yeah, oh, very good. I would agree. I originally had it as nine, but then as we started talking about some of its flaws, some of them bugged me a little bit more than I thought they did originally. Um, so I gave it an eight as well. It, As you've heard me go on and on and on, I think it's a beautiful piece of horror. And go watch it. Go watch it. Go watch it. Go watch it. 
it's the story of Mark Brandanowitz after he left Pawnee, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's the story of him before and after. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, as far as screams, I gave it an eight as well, and that's mostly because of the unsettling factor that it portrays throughout the entire series. Um, it reminded me a lot of Hereditary, where you're on the edge of your seat, you're not sure what's going on, you're terrified, but you like it at the same time, and you want more. It, mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. Yeah, I, so I'm going to give it a seven on screams. I mean, it, it might be closer to like a seven and a half, but I'm going to stick with seven. It... It did a great job of unsettling me. Um, there's still stuff that really sticks with me, but end of the day, I never like truly like it, it. Never truly got under my skin quite as much as I expected it to, but still love it. Wonderful. Well, it's time we talk about something very important. Yes, let's go back to beating our drum, but this time, instead of saying uh, sharing uh, horror movies you love, let's talk about you sharing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Max and Mr. Nathaniel would love it if you could write us a review on iTunes, on Spotify, if you can do that. I don't think you can, but who knows? Ah, Stitcher. Um, share us, please. We love interacting with our fans. I can't tell you how many... Um, Twitter conversations I've had with other horror fans. It's so fun to meet other people who love to watch blood and gore and demons possession on TV and live our normal lives. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Please interact. Yeah, and and also, I mean, if signing into your iTunes account is too big of a pain to, to rate and review us, and I get it, I can never remember what my sign-in information is for my iTunes like, we would tremendously appreciate it if you shared a link or, or just, you know, even just referenced our name on, on social media, uh, told a friend in person, grabbed your friend's phone and just downloaded a few episodes and just said, hey, listen to this thing, or just download it and then they'll wonder why how it got on their phone, whatever. Definitely um, do that. Do that one. Please do that one. <laughs> I really want to hear someone be like, oh, I fell in love with your podcast. I have no idea how it got on my phone. <laughs> We've got some really big things in the works. We've got two interviews coming up that are going to be really fantastic. You'll just have to stay tuned for those. At least two. Another thing we can uh, plug shamelessly here is our now multitude of, well, not multitude, but our, our variety of t-shirts. So we have, of course, our Stay Spooky t-shirt, which was the original one that I made and then we also have one that is uh a variant on uh edward munch's the scream which max himself owns one of which is very delightful i modeled it at work and everyone was very impressed that our podcast had merchandise so get your own yes we also have a shirt that asks the very important question who is your favorite demon? Uh, we also have a t-shirt, especially for the ladies, that says, Horror Feminist. My favorite, Daddy Krampus, saying, well, underneath, saying, I'd rather be naughty. Yes. So <laughs> definitely go to Tee Public, just search for Scream Kings in the bar, and you will find all of our awesome merchandise. And I'm making more all the time, so definitely check out. And, and if you... Don't find one that you immediately fall in love with for some reason. 
check back again. I'm going to have another design or five in the next few weeks. So, And most importantly, listeners, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.